The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, innovation, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Now, here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome, Love in Action Nation and the world. Glad you could join us. If this is your first time here, we hold space every week for deep and purposeful conversations with the world's top influencers, leaders, and experts about the powerhouse principles of actionable love. Love that's going to transform your work culture, lead to innovation, create business impact, and generate profits. Now, I'm excited about my guest today. I've been kind of chasing this guy for a couple of years now. (laughs) In his 2017 best-selling book, which was called Lead the Way, Rob Holman guided readers into their hearts to lead themselves in a more effective and fulfilling way. And Rob is back. He's back with a highly anticipated follow-up book, and it's called All In. So Rob's book takes leaders on an inspirational and practical journey of learning how to build trust from the inside out. And when that happens, Rob is here to tell us, teams can accomplish the impossible together. So who is Rob Holman? Well, he is an internationally recognized leadership expert, executive coach, keynote speaker, podcast co-host, and best-selling author. He is the CEO of Holman International, a global leadership consulting company. Rob's dynamic teaching style that has successfully led thousands of business owners, executives, and leaders through his proprietary method of inside-out leadership coaching, which he's going to talk about in a minute. Now, Rob calls himself a lover of people and a cheerleader of people, and he's here to inspire us all through his life-changing principles. Rob, it's such a pleasure to have you here. I can't wait to learn from you. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Marcel, the joy and honor is all mine. I've been looking so forward to this, as I shared with you, before we officially hit the record button. And uh, if our conversation is anything like it has been in the past, when we have a chance to chat via social media or whatever, I think uh, our listeners are certainly in for something. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's quite a pleasure and an honor. So we got a ritual here. We start off the show like this. What makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days? Yeah. People that know me best, they probably say not a whole lot because I'm always smiling. No, I, that's a great question. I would have to say, I, at age 44, I would not want to be doing anything else than what I do day in and day out. Uh, there's something about my purpose that I have discovered and rediscovered throughout the course of my life that has me literally leaping out of bed in the morning, sometimes 4.30, sometimes 5.30. I love to get a chance. Like today, I had a chance to share my core, which I'm sure we'll get into today on my inside out leadership philosophy and learning system uh, within a consultancy relationship that I have. So I consult a company, I'm doing one-to-one coaching with the president of the company. Mm. And then that could take me into writing my new book and speaking. And I just love the opportunity to greatly and positively influence leaders all around the world with what's deep on my heart. That's what makes me come alive. Yeah, yeah. And it shows. Now, before we dive into the book, Rob, there's, there's no way I can interview a leader like you about the concepts and strategies that you write about unless we connect with you personally. And, and you have such a heartfelt story that happened in your senior year in college. So to me, it's a story of struggle, doubt, faith, but there's also a a redemptive side of the story that you come out on the other side and really finding yourself and your purpose that I think has carried you throughout your life. So I just feel we got to start there. Can you share that story with us? I'd love to. You know, it's so foundational in my life. I, I'm heading into my senior year of college. I went to a small private college right outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's called Widener University. Back in 1997, Marcel, this is back in the day. And like many, you know, seniors in college, arguably it's supposed to be the best year of your life. Yeah. You know, your social life, I'm the captain of the basketball team and and so many aspirations, so many dreams that have yet to be fulfilled, but I'm so excited to, to hopefully fulfill them that senior year. 
Well, I go into my senior year uh, the summer before, and this is probably July timeframe, and uh, there's a clear mass in my abdomen that was extremely painful. And I'm talking about like, you know, getting in and out of cars was extremely painful. I conjured up enough just to even share with my mom at the time, hey, mom, I got something going on. Mm. And, and she's like, well, let's take you into the doctor. And I, you know, I, I'm a guy and I tried to play it cool. And I said, well, I'm going to be going, you know, the college campus in about a month and I'll be getting my basketball physical. So let's just wait. And my mom urged me, please, please go and see the doctor. But I said, no, no, no. So I finally stepped foot the college campus. And this is late August, my senior year. And again, I'm excited about the year and everything like this, but I have this pain in my abdomen. Well, I go to see the doctor and they're supposed to play it pretty cool when they're checking you out and examining you and stuff. Well, this, this doctor tried to play it cool, but I could tell there was a very serious look on his face. He basically said, you have to go in and get tests done right away. And so we made sure to schedule, do what they had to do there to give me a referral. Well, I walk out of that doctor's appointment at age 21, about a half mile across the college campus to my apartment. And it was the loneliest walk of my entire life. Here I am, Marcel, and I'm thinking 21. And of course, as human beings, oftentimes when we get some news or we got to get tests, our minds can't help but think the worst. And I was thinking, I'm 21. What do I have, cancer and I'm going to die? You know, just these thoughts. Yeah. And long story short, the condition went without a clear diagnosis for nearly a month and a half after I got the first set of tests. Doctors were not ruling out cancer. The mass was so abnormal, so unusual. They didn't know what exactly it was. Therefore, they didn't know what to do with it. And here I was 21 years old. And I can remember taking walks late at night around the college campus where I, I knew no one would know or, or be able to find out where I was. And I would bawl my eyes out, tears and everything. I would cry out to God. I would, I would ask, why? Why is this happening? What's going on with me? Is my life ending? Like all these different, it was a crisis moment and season, you know? And what I'm about to share with you completely changed my life. I go in to see this ultrasound specialist that I'd never seen before at University of Pennsylvania Hospital. Now, up to this point, a month and a half go by, I had gotten multiple MRIs, CAT scans, ultrasounds, you name it. I got it multiple times if it was a test. But this particular time is very different. I go in and I start talking to the ultrasound specialist. And the look on his face I still remember his look. He was so surprised, so taken back. Now, going into this appointment, I had major pain, physical pain, emotional pain. You can imagine everything I'm going through was a roller coaster of emotion. He starts to tell me, Rob, I cannot even find words to describe what I'm finding as I'm looking at the ultrasound screen. And I'm like, what do you mean? Please. He goes, you no longer have any mass. You do not have a mass in your abdomen at all. Clearly, all these tests that were brought in and that he's examining were showing a mass. I have pain in my abdomen. Now he's telling me I absolutely have no mass. He tells me, Marcel, a second time. And he says, now intently look at the screen so you can really see what I'm seeing. At that point, it's like spiritual fireworks were going on in the depth of my being. That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. I started to become more alive than ever before. Coming out of that situation, you better believe I was asking a whole set of questions that I never asked before in my life. Who am I? Why am I here? Why has this happened to me? Little did I know over 22 years later now, I would be helping leaders all around the world discover or rediscover their life purpose so they can live and lead according to that. Mm. Absolutely fascinating. Mm. I'm glad that you connected the points to where you are now because it, it shows through in everything that you do. You're coaching, you're speaking, you're writing, Rob. I mean, it's so evident. And I, I, can't, I can't help to think that I, I think that the, the passion that comes from inside of you comes through that experience. That's why I said it's, it's, been, it's carried you through this whole cycle of your life. Uh, and now it's like, let's pay it forward. I think you and I have something in common in the fact that We've had some experiences in life where we don't want other people to, to go through the kind of stuff that we had, that we went through. And, um, and so we want to teach and coach people, especially leaders, to, to be in a better place and to set up those around them to be in a better place as well. So let's talk about All In. So the book was released last year, late last year. Let's skim the surface. What, what's the big idea what, and why did you write it? Yeah. I, the big idea basically is if you want to have meaningful, lasting relationships, everything begins and ends 
with trust. And I think the average person would be like, yeah, trust is a big deal. I get it. But how? How do I actually build and foster that trust? Because I think if we could take a look at any healthy relationship that you have had, I've had, anyone listening, viewing has had, um, you know, what was it about that relationship? To where trust, and I define trust as an assured reliance on another, on one another okay. in any relationship. I got your back, you got mine, we're climbing the mountain together. There's just a sense, a feeling like we have each other and we're with each other, we're in step. And because, you know, we've had healthy relationships, you know, but we've also had some unhealthy ones. And unfortunately, those unhealthy relationships in life, they can hold us back from embracing the team member relationships in our life today, in the present day, in the present moment, the present season. So for me, the book lays out, what are some things that I've learned? What are some inside out principles that I've learned over the course of my life and experiences that help people learn how to build trust from the inside out to where it's, it's tangible? And it's not only tangible, but it's also sustainable. Because there is something, I mean, we can stay up and inspire people and motivate people all day long, but if there are not practical tools, and that's one of the things I love about you and your work, you provide, you encourage and inspire people, but you also provide tools for the tool belt. They're going to provide long-term sustainability in relationships and businesses and business culture. And that's really what the book does a deeper dive in. Yeah. Okay. So even you go even as far as saying, and this is a very bold statement, if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. So where does trust come from? Yeah. Trust is one of those things. It is deep. If it's an assured reliance on another person, there's an exchange that needs to happen. Okay. An exchange of humanity, an exchange of life. I think so many business leaders and so many executive team members and core team members, we, fo- we can even focus too much on the professional, right? Yeah. The professional development track, uh, our tasks, our responsibilities, all these, and those things are important, right? To make a company thrive. However, in my opinion, what supersedes that is human to human connection. When we actually begin to understand what makes one another, each other tick, what makes us come alive, what inspires us, mm. our personality, our, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, our stories, if you will. Yeah. Now we start communicating, we start collaborating more on a human, human level or depth of connection. And that's where I really believe the greatest magic happens is when we actually take the time, the intentional and consistent time, spending time with people as people, as human beings, understanding, being present. And I want to highlight that word present. Presence is everything. Yeah. If we want to truly begin to learn about trusting one another and beginning to gain the trust and earn the respect of one another so that I have your back, you have mine, and we're climbing this mountain together. Yeah. So yeah. presence, I, I don't know. There's so much wrapped up and in, in presence. I just find in the closest relationships in my life, Marcel, like even my relationship with my wife, my kids, I think I'm being present. You know, even my colleagues, my team members with my company, I think I'm being present, but am I really? Mm. Mm. Am I worried a little bit more about the next meeting I have, the leaky faucet that needs to get fixed, or the, the next project I'm working on? Or am I really committed to being present with that person that's before me in that moment? And in order to do so, we've got to consider some things. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's dig into this. I'm dying to know about the inside out leadership philosophy. And I already feel like you've probably delved into some of the principles, presence, for example, but talk about your inside out program. Yeah, I, there's so much. I mean, we know that there's a major engagement problem in business, all right? Yeah. I mean, people want to see more engagement. Business leaders and executives and influencers, they want to see more engagement. I mean, $500 billion in the United States alone is uh, being spent to try to solve that problem. But my observation, my experience, and my research tells me that many leaders are trying to throw outside techniques and strategies, but trying to get into the heart and the mind of the worker. And they're not all bad. There's some, there's some room and space for these, these strategies. For instance, incentive programs. And certainly, but they only last so long. They only go so far. For me, this is where I step in with my inside out leadership to say, I believe that there is a better way. There's a proven way, which is mean, instead of these outside things trying to get into the heart and the mind of the worker, why not begin in the heart and the mind of the worker so they work themselves out? Mm. And so for me, inside out leadership has everything to do, again, with purpose, 
understanding, not only letting people understand my purpose, but me also understanding theirs. Now, this is, this is what makes us come alive when we can discover, rediscover our existence as a human being, but also our existence as a working professional collectively. So purpose, and this is a place where creativity comes alive. This is a place where inspiration, now people are led more by inspiration and not as much motivation. And there is a difference. There is a difference. I mean, you have to look at motivation, right? There's a place for it, but motivation, let me give you a real life example. So like motivation, you know, people have to drive the speed limit. Speed limit may vary depending on the state you live in or whatever, but many times people will drive the speed limit. Why? Because there's a motivational factor for doing so. The motivational factor is if you don't, then you're going to get a ticket potentially. You're going to have points in your license, which means your insurance skyrockets. Yeah. So people try to stay the speed limit because of this incentive, because of this motivational thing that again can have some level of impact. Whereas when you're inspired, when you're actually leading, you're, someone's tapping into the deepest place of who you are, that all of a sudden now you're inspired. And when you tap into that inspiration, that purpose-driven aspect of who you are, now you're compelled to action as opposed to doing it because you feel like you should, you ought, or if you're not, you're going to be penalized for it. Completely different place. And inside out leadership speaks to that place deep within each one of us. I can't help but wrap this around servant leadership principles because from an inside out approach is, is to understand what's going on on the, on the other side of the fence, right? So that you can get the best out of people. Right. And, and, and I love the fact that there is so much of a self-discovery process here in probably the, the, the people that you teach and coach, because they may not be at that point of no. truly understanding where they're at, no. and who, who they're about and what their purpose is. Well, that's a great point, because if you, and for a starting place for me, and I believe it, it feeds right into it. If you want to know your why, you've got to know the who, like, who am I really? And I think the average person has a general idea of who they are, some of their skill sets, some of their gifts, the things they'd rather not do. But there's always new things to discover. Yeah. And also new seasons in which to rediscover things about ourselves. So in a sense, if, if, if we allow space as a leader with our team members, allow space to truly get to know one another, again, it gets back to as human beings, who are we? Who are you? Who am I? Who are we together? Now our heartbeat starts to beat together and we realize that we are people with real issues, real struggles, real challenges, but we've also overcome a whole lot more in our life than we even give attention to. But now we're bringing awareness to these really important and significant things and we're just committed to one another. And when you're committed to one another in learning and discovering and rediscovering things, now there's an opportunity in the midst of that. Now there's an opportunity for me to be Marcel's cheerleader, me to be Marcel's greatest encourager, greatest supporter, and vice versa on the other end. Imagine a team where I become your greatest encourager, you become mine, and that's kind of the culture that the entire team has. You talk about now serving one another mm. in various ways. I mean, empowerment to the max. Yeah, so one of the primary things that we need to do from this inside out approach is obviously that leads to building trust but to build trust you got to learn to engage in healthy communication okay and, and it, you know it's communication is really an art form from a leadership standpoint and i love the fact that you dedicate chapter two is all about that so you talk about these five communication principles i want to unpack a couple of them just for the sake of time okay so I'm going to list the five for our listeners. So embrace silence, create active participation, use storytelling, be yourself, and understand the languages of appreciation. Some of those are pretty self-explanatory, but I want to I want to touch on two of them. Yeah. Can you unpack embrace silence, and then let's talk about use storytelling. Yeah. Embrace silence is something when people hear that word silence, Marcel, I mean, what people start getting uncomfortable really quick. Yeah. Because in our culture, no surprise to you or me or anyone else, but in our culture, people have a really difficult time embracing silence. And I can't help but go back to funny illustration, but I can't help but go back when my wife and I were dating. Now we've been married over 15 years, have a really vibrant, healthy relationship and marriage. 
far from perfect. You can ask my wife and my kids about that, but a really vibrant and healthy one, honestly. But I can't help but go back to when we were dating. And we didn't know each other that well, but we are slowly but surely getting to know one another. And nothing was worse for me. And I think she, Karen would say the same, that when we went out on a date or we talked for an extended period of time on the phone, we're getting to know each other. So before we'd hop on the phone, before we'd go out on a date, I'd be thinking of all the questions that I had for her. You know, everything from as silly as like, what's her favorite color, her favorite band, all these different things. For what reason? Because I didn't want there to be any dead air. Because think about dead air for me, not really knowing someone, dead air meant it was awkward. Like, I don't want it to be awkward because I want to feel like she, yeah, like I can lead, I can grow. I didn't want there to be awkwardness in the relationship. But let's fast forward. One of the sweetest things that my wife and I have after 15 years of marriage is when we're together, but we don't have to say anything. Hmm. And what does that say or speak to? We've been committed to and continue to remain committed to getting to know one another what makes us tick, what makes us come alive, what, that we are completely comfortable and confident just being together without feeling like we have to fill dead air just to do it with nervousness and stuff like that. So what I love to do is I love to help leaders really embrace silence. And it could be as simple and practical as asking a question to, a question to your team member. It doesn't mean you have to sit in the same room and not speak for an hour. <laughs> it could look like that. But maybe just the art of asking wonderful questions and just asking a question and just embracing that silence that you don't necessarily always have to chime in, but just have more of a posture of tuning in and listening and being silent on your end and being attentive to what they're really saying. Now that person on the other end is feeling appreciated, valued, respected, honored, because they know that you're not necessarily always going to chime in and jump in with your two cents or what you feel or this and that. And now it really leaves space for getting to know them. And imagine if a culture is built and fostered where each team member almost has that mentality, that heart, that mind. Now, some would say no one would be saying anything at all. But, but I think there's a tremendous opportunity in the midst of that. And, and so I love to encourage people and leaders to really embrace silence in that way. This goes well beyond just active listening. To me, it mm -hmm. does. Um, because what you're doing is you're, you're parking the thoughts in your head. Um, because you, like you said, our tendency is uh, we, we want to we chime in and give our input before that person is done. So I think that's such a, um, such a hard thing to, to do, but we can all learn it, is to, to step back and say, I'm going to be completely emotionally present there's going right back to your, your presence uh, statement in, in the inside out approach, right? Yeah. So that I can truly understand what's going on on the other side of the, of the fence here. That's right. Man, that takes a whole level of self-awareness that, that some of us have never, never ventured into. Yeah. And it's a learned thing. And, and Marcel, you bring up a great point. It, it's a learned thing. It is a process to, to think that people and leaders can get this overnight, but we've got to be committed. If we see value, it's like anything in life. We see value in it we will initiate and continue that journey. Yeah. And, and so for me, listen, I'll be honest. I mentioned this in chapter one of the book when I talk about presence. I was very vulnerable, not only about my relationship with my wife, but my oldest son. You know, a couple of years ago, I, I was on the phone too much. And at times I still am when I'm around my, my kids, honestly. And I could make the argument, well, dad needs to be on it for this and that. But I had a really honest conversation one early morning with my oldest son. And I said, RJ, is dad on his phone too much? Because I really wanted his input. And I, I, really, I really thought I knew what he'd say. And he did. He said, yeah, dad. And I said, well, how's that make you feel? Well, dad makes me feel like other people sometimes are more important than I am. Yeah. And Marcel, I, I'm going to get emotional a little bit. Like I had a really deep place in my heart. Yeah. Because I don't want that to be the case. I want when I'm with my son, I want him to feel like he's the most important person on the planet to me and with me. When I'm with my wife, the same. When I'm with my team member, I want the same. And sometimes that honest feedback is the best thing that we need to hear. Even though it has this kind of gulp a little bit stronger and we're like, oh man, I don't know why I asked that, but I do. And then we can start going down that journey a little bit more intentionally, a little bit more consistently. And it is a journey. Yeah, well, if it, if it comes from your son, that's when the reality really hits you square across the face. Oh, she does. Wow. Okay, so uh, a couple of episodes ago, I brought in Dr. Nate Regier to talk about conflict. And you and him have something in common. You say 
that we can turn team conflict into a creative superpower. So rather than run away from conflict, and that was Dr. Regier's point too, is that you want to run into conflict, struggle together in the conflict because amazing things are going to happen as a result of that. So give us some examples. How do we turn team conflict into a creative superpower? Yeah, no, it's one of those things that conflict is not a bad word. Sometimes we have to reframe. We just have to tell ourselves a different storyline. And for so long, I think because, and I understand why, I've had this too happen. It's because of negative experiences with the conflict. You know, when I had this conversation with my son, daughter, mom, dad, team member, neighbor, it didn't go well. And so you can go down that road of like conflict. You put up the hand of conflict and it's like, eh. however, conflict is a wonderfully powerful thing. Mm. That there is a depth, if we are committed to healthy conflict, and I'll get into some of the practicals of that in just a minute. If we are committed to engaging in healthy conflict and healthy conflict resolution, there's an opportunity for a depth of relationship and deeper trust within team members that would never, ever be there otherwise. So first and foremost, I think foundationally, we need to reframe some things about conflict. Like it is a good thing. It is a great thing. And, and actually, because, and I say the average person and leader handles conflict in one of three ways. Either they don't know how to handle it at all and the, the lid pops off and it's like, where did this come from? Whoa. Or there's a lot of passive aggressiveness that happens or somewhere in the middle, we suppress, we suppress, we suppress, and then it leaks out. But nonetheless, when there's tension in a relationship and that's what conflict, you know, when there's tension, it's going to come out one way or another. Why not learn about it and embrace conflict so become can become your best friend, one of your best friends, so that we can be more proactive in our approach with it. So three things I think are really, really important in, in making conflict, turning conflict into a creative superpower. One is it's self-assertion. So what things can we do if we're the initiator, for instance, right? What are some things that we can do if we know we have to have a tough conversation with a team member? How we initially engage in that conversation with them either will escalate the emotions or minimize defenses. So what can we do in the language that we speak, how we share, the heart in which we share, the posture in which we have that will help take the defenses that are up in the relationship and minimize, if not eliminate them entirely. One thing we can do with self and self-assertion is use some concrete data. Concrete data is really important. It's, it's neutral ground to enter into that conversation. Hey, Marcel, I'll give you an example, right? Hey, Marcel, do you remember last week when we were at this meeting and you'd said something and you probably didn't even mean to say it, but when you said it, it caused a reaction in the group. Do you remember that time? See, that's concrete data. I'm not doing a deeper dive with how it made me, this is what it caused or this is what happened, but you can nod your head and say, yeah, yeah, I remember that time last meeting where there's a awkwardness or whatever, right? Yeah. So self-assertion has some concrete data that actually initiates the conversation on neutral ground. And then as you begin to go down that road a little bit, still self-assertion, minimizing defenses, it's important to use what I call choice language. Things like not, non-accusatory words, like not you did this and you shouldn't have ever, or you always, you know, those are, that's accusatory language. That's fighting language, you know, in relationship and intention filled, you know, times, but saying like, Hey, you know, when this occurred now, this maybe wasn't your intention, but this is how I felt. See, our feelings are legit. You know, they might not have been exactly how they're, but they're legit. So anything we can do, that's self-assertion and that feeds into then active listening. And this goes both ways and kind of feeds into what we talked about before, right? So even asking questions to posture yourself to learn from the other person, you know, is that how you saw it? Or you can reflect or mirror what the person said, maybe stop on occasion and be like, I just want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly or I'm understanding you correctly. Is this what you said? It gets you on the same page. And imagine if both sides are going in not to get their point across as much as, and again, this feeds into what you and I were talking about just a few minutes ago, but more of that true understanding of trying to understand where the other person's coming from and why they, why they did what they maybe did. And then lastly, if we have good self-assertion and good active listening, it should always lead to healthy collaboration. So, you know, if this ever happens in the future again, which it probably shouldn't after you have this healthy dialogue, but it might, it's going to rear its head. We're human beings. What are some of the ground rules for engagement? 
as we begin to go about this kind of uh, tension-filled conversation. So there's an understanding, an agreement where you're both nodding your head and be like, yeah, I get it. This is really healthy. So if this rears its head again in different shapes or forms with us, maybe we can, we can go about it in this, this form or fashion. So mm. I really see those three aspects, self-assertion, active listening, and ultimately collaboration. Okay. Okay. You know what we forgot? We forgot the storytelling, using ah. storytelling in a way to engage in healthy communication. Let's go back to that real quick. Sure. How do we use storytelling to do that? Yeah. Storytelling. There has to be a willingness from a person's perspective, from a leader's perspective, there has to be a willingness to open people up to your story. Start with yours. You know, if you look at people in your life, it's easy for us to say, unless it's a new team member, or a new relative or a new neighbor that doesn't know you at all, I think most of us kind of chalk it up, eh, they know who I am. I just kind of am who I am. They've been in enough team meetings with me. They kind of know. But imagine if we as leaders set the stage. We actually invite people into an aspect of our life, invite people into an aspect of our life that they've never known before. And it doesn't even have to take that long. Imagine if you could facilitate a meeting with your team in which you could take them into your life. Just It could be a very short story a pers- on the personal front, on the business front, to let's, let's people in. Like, oh my goodness, I never knew that about you, Marcel. I, yeah, that, thank you so much for sharing that. And if we begin to do that, we set the stage. We are modeling for our team members that we are willing to be somewhat vulnerable. And that's a key word there. Are we willing to be vulnerable and even transparent enough? It doesn't mean that every team meeting has to turn into like a full-fledged counseling session where you get the box of tissues and there's crime. Might be on occasion, depends on what's shared. But nonetheless, are we committed to let our team members into who we are as a person before leader? And vice versa, also encouraging them to do the same. And when we do, because there's power in story. Everything in our culture, which passed down from generation to generation, not just in American culture, but world culture and all the different cultures within the world, our stories and the power of storytelling. And again, it gets back to we feel connected. We feel interconnected with one another when stories are shared. Why not start more on the personal front, then feed into more business storytelling and studies have even shown. The teams perform perform far better and are far more effective together with the power of storytelling. There's no doubt about it. That's why I wanted to start with your story. Um, you know about the 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 lump that went away, that miracle that you experienced. I don't care what faith background you come from. It was let's call it for what it is. It, that was a miracle. It was that you experienced. And to me, the power of stories is first of all it humanizes the environment because we all have something that we can relate to. Um, But it disarms people. When you hear a story, it brings somebody hope because that person may say, Hey, I know what Rob experienced. I went through the same thing. I went through a cancer diagnosis and I came out the other side. Yeah. Marcel, thank you so much for that. I I was just reminded on the spot. I was speaking at a uh, a conference uh, about six months ago in the greater, Mm -hmm. in the Philadelphia, uh, in the city of Philadelphia. And I shared that story, which oftentimes I do. I share my story and I open it up to a few hundred people and I open it up and a woman in the background and there's microphones passed. And she said, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I want to share a little bit of mine. And she was able to briefly share her story. And now people heard mine, they heard hers. And it started to change in, in a few hundred people sharing their personal stories. Some people with tears in their eyes, some people that were more stoic in how they share. But nonetheless, we were all caught up in this moment, in this time. And again, it feeds into being present. Yeah. Storytelling goes back, and back to being anchored in presence. And, and presence now again, now builds and fosters trust in a very short period of time with those in our sphere of influence. Powerful things occur. I love that, Rob. It deepens relationships in the process. It does. Uh, I want to talk about chapter five. It's about developing, you say, a culture of honor. So let's define that first. What is a culture of honor? Yeah. Imagine a place, an environment, an atmosphere, culture where everyone's held in very high regard. Again, not just as a working team member, but as a human being. Sadly, and I mentioned this in the book, sadly, I've been to so many, more than I'd like to admit, more memorial services throughout the course of my young life. And 
I don't care how someone's lived their life, how poorly, the poor decisions they've made or whatever. It's a concerted effort on the parts of family members and friends, the officiant, the pastor, whatever it may be, to focus on the good, to focus on a storyline of all the good. And this 30,000 square foot view in a very colorful way, and, and it brings you to tears, and it helps with the grieving, laughter bursts out, and you can't help be like, this person is honored. We are celebrating the life of this individual, and you probably know where I'm going with this, Marcel. <laughs> Sadly, so often, we don't have a problem as human beings and leaders that, to honor people's socks off when they're no longer here. Mm. But yet, imagine if we do the same thing intentionally and consistently while they're here on earth. But we've got to be intentional with it. We've got to be consistent. We've got to involve these inside-out leadership principles that we've been talking about, discussing, and chewing on today. Because if we don't, here's what begins to happen. I wonder if it's been your observation. It's been mine. Is we can almost get too familiar with people in time kind of take them for granted until a tragic accident happens. It awakens us yet again. But I don't think it has to take those things to awaken us. We need people that can encourage and inspire us to keep these things at the forefront, at the center. And imagine if we are committed as a team to honor one another in various ways, in creative ways. Imagine what begins to happen. We're tapping into the depth of who we are and we're bringing what normally people do after they're no longer here and we're bringing into the here and now. You're talking about what inspires people, what makes them come alive. Hmm. It is absolutely amazing what happens. Can you give us an example? What have you seen as, because I want to get into the importance of it for developing a culture where there's trust going in, in multiple directions. Yeah. So I've learned the principle sometimes. Now, some people, when they hear this, they're like, I, you're crazy, Rob. Yeah, maybe, but I, I'm pressing the envelope on this one. As business leaders, oftentimes we, you know, we'll hire people and we give them roles and responsibilities and a nice salary to back up, you know, all those roles, titles, and responsibilities. And as long as, if they perform pretty good, if not very well, we'll, We'll encourage them in that place, but we're oftentimes problem solving how, how many times they can do better and what they need to do better to increase peak performance and all these different things. And when they mess up, we know we got to have that difficult conversation, kind of slap them on the wrist and you know, all these different things. I have found sometimes giving people what they don't deserve. See, the world oftentimes give people what they don't deserve. If they don't perform well, you don't give them that increased pay. You have to have that tough conversation. And there's, there's some rhyme and reason for that. So I'm not here to say, but I have found what can be so powerful as you get to know people as people first. And if they don't perform up to their level or the standard in which you have for them, the expectation that you or other team members have, taking the time to be present with them and understanding and listening and posturing yourself to really understand and listen. And out of that place, honoring them, speaking life into them, encouraging them, uh, shepherding them really well in the moment. And could it be that that would bring the honor that holding people in high regard because they're so used to getting what they don't deserve. Why not give something what, you know, yeah, like people are willing, people are normally given what they do deserve. You step in and give them what they don't deserve. And could that in fact be exactly what they need to change the trajectory of their life? But even if not their life, because that could seem extreme, maybe start to move the needle a little bit because they're not used to a leader that serves them in that form or fashion. They're not used to leaders saying, I believe in you to the point where I'm doing something that you least expected because it's so counterintuitive. It is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, a lot of us may be skeptical, skeptical about some of your inside out principles. Okay. So in growing trust, uh, we may be driving to work in the morning, only thinking about, oh, I got to get this done. I got, I have this deadline to meet. I have this project to deliver. How do we keep focus with doing all that? The nuts and bolts of the job, getting things done, getting results. But at the same time, thinking about working on growing in trust? 
Yeah, I know. I, I get this question a lot, Marcel. I do. And it's a wonderful question because people oftentimes say, Rob, I, I get what you're talking about with spending the time that's necessary, getting to know people's people, being present with them, uh, letting them get to know your story and vice versa, right? With fostering and building trust in that kind of a way. But that take, can take some time. And I got stuff to do. I'm getting paid. I'm clocking in. I got, well, hold on here. I can't take the whole day to do all this stuff with people. I got to, you know, so I, get, <laughs> I do get that. So there's one, there's one word that jumps out to me and it's boundaries. Mm. You know, being an inside out leader, keeping these things in mind and having team and team members grow and be fostered in this trust from the inside out. It's not without boundaries. And I think as we get to know one another, we get to encourage each other are the things that are really important in any given season to any one of us, okay? Boundary, each one of us need boundary markers in our life the same way that when I buy a property. My wife and I bought a new home about four and a half years ago. Well, the home has boundary markers. We know with stakes in the ground what property we own and what we don't. And I think very practically leaders we need to understand, we need to set the tone ourselves. What are our boundary markers? So for instance, what are the things that are really, really important to you in this season of your life, both personally and professionally? And make sure that we are guarding and protecting those things and letting other team members know those things that are really important to us. And the reason why we guard and protect them so heavily so that they can begin to have, be aware of those things in your life and you can become more aware of those things in their life so you can ultimately respect the boundaries that each one of us have. And imagine if team members, again, this is an invitation into each other's life. What matters to you? Why does that matter to you? So all of a sudden now, I can let people know, hey, it was great talking to you about this. Can we talk, get together over a cup of coffee and continue the dialogue next week because it's such a meaningful conversation. But for now, I've got to go to my next meeting because boom, 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 right? So we got to learn these like little shifts and changes. But again, this is not, not without already other team members knowing what makes us tick, what makes us come alive, the priorities we have in any season of our life. And so again, it's not like a foreign thing. When we start to let people in, we're letting them also into our boundaries based on what really matters to us. And now we start respecting one another's boundaries. And that's where we can become really efficient doing what we're actually called and hired to do at the same time. Mm. Gosh, Rob, there's so many other things that I, I wish we could get to, but for the sake of time, I wanna, I wanna wrap up your book like this, in the, in the context of what we've been talking about in, in the book, if you're someone that's all in, what's the bottom line of that statement? Yeah. Being a team member, having at least one other person in your life, and that's why my inside out leadership, Marcel, no surprise to you, but it's, a, it's applicable to every aspect of your life. So whether it's a spouse, it's a partner, it's a father, it's a senior leader, whatever it is, all in means you're fully committed. You're fully committed to live out these inside-out leadership principles intentionally and consistently. It doesn't mean perfectly. And when you're committed, that means like you're committed. Like there's my definition of even commitment is you're either all in or you're all out. There's no room in between. So count the cost in doing so. You know, count the cost of what it's going to require of you and other people. If you're a leader listening to this, some of the sacrifices of going deeper with each other some of the sacrifices of being vulnerable, some of the sacrifices and counting the costs associated with the sacrifices of you know, making yourself be more present. But I will assure you, the costs are well worth taking. As a matter of fact, we will find out that they're not sacrifices at all, really. This is what we're wired for. This is what we're created for. At the end of the day, are we willing to commit to being all in, live out of this place? Mm. Rob, we have this tradition here where we talk about love and fear. Why do you think fear is still so prevalent in how businesses are managed rather than, you know, your, some of your inside out principles that talk about trust and caring and, and humility and presence? The evidence is, is overwhelming in favor of care and love rather than fear. But yet, here we are, 2020. We know what Gallup has been saying for the last three decades. So what is, your, what is your impressions on why fear is still so prevalent when we have the evidence to say 
that principles of love and in your case, inside out approaches lead to high performance and results. People are afraid of being known. Mm. I say that because we think that we're being known by all the social media that's out there about us or that we see about other people. There's a fear if people really knew who I was, would they, would they truly accept me for who wow. I am? Is there an approach that where we can reverse this personally and maybe even in our culture, company culture, is there a first step? I think the first step is, again, it gets back to my story about purpose and everything I come back to in my core with Inside Out Leadership. Yeah. Are we committed to discovering or rediscovering who we are and why we exist? And this is not a place of condemnation. This is not a place of judgment. This is actually a place to better get to understand one another, what makes us tick, what makes us come alive, what impassions us, what empowers us. So we can become each other's greatest support system, cheerleaders, and encouragers ever known to man. Hmm. Hmm. Are we willing to take the purposeful step in the discovery process. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of discovery process, Rob, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Mm. Take the time that's necessary to better get to know who you are, not based on performance, not based on trying to get your name in the newspaper, not based on a bad game or a good game, but taking a deeper look under the hood of the, my car, so to speak. Yeah. And again, as, as a young person, if we could begin, if I can go back and tell my younger self, and now I'm trying to really encourage my kids with this, that you are a success. Every human being is a success, not based on what they do, but who they are. And if we can grab that, that so much, we're in an identity crisis because we, we, Measure of success is based on what we can or can't do. And if we can truly understand and grasp and embrace that it's not based on what we can or can't do, but based on who we are and our uniqueness, our significance, apart from seven and a half billion people on the planet, then now when we begin to approach a bad day, when we begin to approach a curveball thrown at us in the midst of the day, we're going to be anchored in the things that really matter, namely who I am and what I'm truly called to. And I think that right there is something that every person and a younger me definitely needed 20, 30 years ago. Wow. Uh, I wish I, I would have heard that in my mid-30s, actually. Yeah. Um, well, we bring it home with uh, two questions. And Rob, you've probably answered this probably 10 times over already. But personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like our listeners to know? Yeah, I, I just find there's so much dysfunction in relationships. And you know, people have listened to me probably long enough to know, I just get so uh, worked up in a good way that when I see dysfunctional relationships, it doesn't have to be that way. So many people are fighting against each other when they should be fighting for each other. That if we can take the time to truly grasp the importance of life and the uniqueness of every human being, my goodness, yeah. Life is too short, Marcel. Like you and I both know, life is too short. And we don't have to go through all the drama I went through in my life or maybe you've gone through in your life or whatever to have these wake-up calls. So for me, what's really tugging on me is if I can speak on behalf, if I can coach, if I can consult, if I can play some level, some role to help leaders and teams turn that dysfunction, that drama into the greatest superpower known to man and humanity. Let's do it. Because I'll tell you, there's a tremendous opportunity in the midst of it. Let's do it. Finally, give us one key takeaway, that one thing that we can walk away with today that's just going to make such a great difference in our lives. What would you say that that would be? Yeah. I think it's, it's all about perspective. You know, the uh, quote that I came up with years ago, my oldest niece at the time, she had a school project, and she said, "Uncle Rob, I gotta, I gotta call you. I, I'm told I gotta like find a relative or a family friend or something that came up with a quote that they live by." And these words came flying out of my mouth. And I think, hopefully, it'll be an encouragement to to your listeners. Much of the world sees the glass half empty or half full, but I always see it overflowing. 
there's always an opportunity to have a higher perspective on ourselves, on the people around us, on our circumstances. And I believe when we can tap into that higher perspective and see our minds renewed, you can begin to be the change agent that the world desperately is longing for you to be. Mm. It's been incredible. I think that I'm going to go prophetic on us here and say that this episode is going to be one of those that people are going to look back and say, this changed my life or something Rob said changed my life. I really believe that. Mm. And I, I still want to thank you for joining us today. How can the listeners connect with you? Where do they go? To share some of your resources, website, et cetera. Yeah. First and foremost, I just wanted to thank you. You know, as a friend, as I've gotten to know your heart, Marcel, you are a pioneer out there. And just your, yeah, your leadership, your heart of service to leaders all around the globe. I am a student when I come across your work. I learned so much from you. So to have this moment, this exchange to where your listeners can, you know, yeah, just listen to both of us kind of talk about life and meaningful principles, man. Thank you so much. I'm so honored and so overjoyed that you have me on the, on the show. So thank you for that. I'm honored by that. Thank you. Yeah. A couple of places people can find out more about me. I would say more of a centralized place is robholman.com. That's Rob with two Bs. And then secondly, with the new book, All In, it's getallinbook.com. There you have it. One of the things that I did not get a chance to cover in my conversation with Rob, so I'm going to do it here, is about the lighter side of leadership. Rob says we have to have more fun in the workplace. And you know what? He's right. I've been an advocate over the years for creating a culture where you bring more play to work. Sometimes we take ourselves too serious. And what I found is that when we have more play, it leads to more creativity and innovation to solve problems and bring people together. And research backs this up. And my one takeaway from our chat with Rob today comes down to one word, presence. In this day and age, man, with our faces buried in our devices, are we truly being present in the moment in our interactions? Think about it. Thanks for listening and joining the conversation. If this episode brought you value, we would love it if you kindly leave us a review on iTunes. Next week, I sit down and chat with Laura Morgan Roberts from the University of Virginia's School of Business to tackle a very important topic, race and the African-American experience in today's corporate climate. Until then, don't forget, Love in action. It's what will truly set your leadership apart. The choice is yours. Hey, Love in Action Nation. If you're enjoying the format of the show and the topics we talk about, and you want to bring this conversation to your company event or conference, I would love to explore the possibilities. Whether it's speaking or moderating a live discussion or a Q&A panel, or even producing a series of podcasts before and after your event, let's talk. You can reach me by email personally at marcel at loveinaction.club. That's marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L, at loveinaction.club.